Okay, Gilbert, pray for our time together in the Word and fellowship. You have gathered us, Lord. We thank you that uh, truth is going forth. And we just pray for our time together, Lord. Pray, Father, that we would have ears that hear what your Spirit is saying to us, Lord mm -hmm. God, that we would walk away with applicable truths. I pray that you would strengthen Rob as he shares your word, Lord God. I thank you that he is a man that is led by your Holy Spirit, Lord God that he listens and responds. So just pray that you would um, bless our time together, Lord, and we just thank you for the privilege that we have, Lord, to be able to come together. May we grow in our love and our knowledge of you and our love for one another. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You ready, man? Okay. Yeah. Looking out my window, feeling the crescendo, sunset on a quiet sea. Sitting with the ones that I forever love, we're waiting on a flash of green. And even when the nights got cold, you've always held me close. You're the only rock that I could ever stand on, you're the only one for me. The sun goes up, the sun comes down, this whole world keeps spinning round. Traveling down this long and winding road Seasons come and seasons go They take me high, they leave me low But I'm still standing on the only rock I know You're my cornerstone Sweating through a long night, wrestling the hounds of shame. Trying to turn her hands back on a troubling past, every move I make's in vain. But even in the shifting winds, you are who you've always been. You're the only rock that I could ever stand on, through it all you remain. The sun goes up, the sun comes down.
that we can have in you, Lord Jesus. Father, for truly in Christ, Father, what you have accomplished because of your obedience, Lord. Father, you say in your word that you came to do the will of the Father. Yes. Oh, God. You came to set the captives free. God, that I'm continually reminded, God, that it's because of your love gave your one and only Son, that whoever would believe in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. That that individual would be grafted in into your kingdom, Lord. Yes, Lord. Into your family, Father. Given the right to call you Abba. <clears throat> Father, as we've been studying, Lord, and as we have been encouraged in your word, Father, to know, God, that um, your Son, Jesus, took our place. He bore our punishment mm. <laughs> that we might live. Mm. And that those who would believe in Him, that those who would call upon Him would be saved, Father. And that in that, Lord, that His righteousness would be placed on us. Mm. Not because of anything that we have done, but because of all that Christ accomplished. Yes. Oh, no greater love than this, Father. That a man will lay down his life for his friend. And Amen. Jesus, that's what you did for us. It's the good news. That we are set free from rebellion, Lord. That old nature that knows nothing more than just to die. Death. But you came to set us free that we may have life and life in abundance. For eternity, Father, be with you. And that, Father, you would make a way where there seems to be no way. God, there's so much suffering and chaos going on in the world. Father, you've called your people to go forth and to bear your image, to be the light. Yes. To be the voice in the wilderness calling out, there is a way, and his name is Jesus. So give us boldness, Father. Give us strength to continue to endure the race, Father, that is set before us, that we might gain the prize, yes. Father. It's all for you. It's all for you. So if we're truly disciples of Christ, if we're truly your children, Father, then as Christ, so shall we be about our Father's business. Yes. Find us faithful, Lord, I pray. Thank you yet for another day to get together, Father, to open up your word, yes. Lord, and just to have fellowship with you and with each other. We thank you for that. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. 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 And good morning. Sustained effort. Hard work from the root word, apply. Apply to give one's full attention to a task 
to work hard. So again, we've been talking through this for about nine months now as we enter into September application. What does that look like for us? For each one of us, what does it look like to apply God's truth? To walk with Him. To know Him. I love it when the Word says that we're to abide with Christ. Because apart from Him, we can do nothing. Application of truth is vital, as we've been hearing. Applying the Bible is the duty of all Christians. Not just some, but all Christians. If we don't apply it, the Bible becomes nothing more to us than a normal book. An impractical collection of old manuscripts. That is why Paul says, whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. When we apply the Bible, God himself would be with us. This is nine months, you've heard this, Mm. over and over and over each week. How are we doing with that? How are we doing with applying? How are we doing with sustained effort? How are we doing when we know it's hard work? Because there's so many distractions out there trying to take up your time. But to have the discipline to say, no, I know in whom I belong to. You see, if you're finding, your, if you're finding it hard applying God's truth, if you're finding it hard to, to sustain effort, to, to continue to grow, if you're finding it hard to abide in Christ, then the issue is, the issue is, do you truly understand the value that you have in Christ? Because when we really can't grasp the essence of who he is, and then what we have because of what Christ accomplished, then we will try to find our worth and our value elsewhere. And we will allow all these distractions to captivate us. But I'm telling you all, well, I'm telling you all, you can mature, no matter what your age is, you can mature in your Christian walk to where you understand the worth, ultimately in Christ, And then your new nature in Christ, that when all these distractions out here, as well as all the distractions within here, when they present themselves to you, you can dismiss them. Because you understand there is no value in them. So why would you waste a moment focusing on them? Mm. Allowing them to lead you. Allowing them to define you. Oh no. Oh no. When you know your worth in Christ, when you know your identity in Christ, you can stand and stand there for them and not be moved by all of this. There's a level of confidence that comes, not because of you, but because of Christ. When you truly see him for who he is. And as I've been encouraging us, we we can't just keep him at this level, way up here. Mm -hmm. No, Christ in us. Christ for us. Christ with us. Christ leading us. Christ delivering us. Christ our Savior. Like, do you know? Do you know that you know that you know that you know that you know? Who he is. 
and what he's accomplished and what you have because of him. Because I'm telling you, when you know it, when you know it, oh, you're, gonna, you're going to want to continue to apply it. Amen. It's sustained effort. It's hard work. Amen. Jesus didn't say your Christian life is going to be a cakewalk. No, he's already told us. In this world, you're going to have trouble. But be of good cheer. I've already overcame the world. Did you get up this week with that knowledge? Did you go through this week with that knowledge? How have you done with all these distractions, again, that are out here and in here? And the distractions I'm talking about in here is all your insecurities, all your wounds, all your anger, and all these other emotions, and all these other thoughts, and all these other things that try to rule you. Because they're not to be ruling you. We can easily be led by those. But choose you this day. Choose you this day whom you will serve. And it's not that you just, you just don't let them fester and be there and pretend they're not there. No, you deal with them. What do I do with my insecurities? What do I do with my anger? What do I do with my hurt? What do I do with my loneliness? What do I do with my depression? What do I do with with my identity that I just feel like I'm broken? What do I do? Well, as a child of God, you stop listening to the lies of the enemy. Amen. You stop listening to, 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 to the identity of the flesh and of the broken. No, no. As a child of God, you begin to allow the truth of God to begin to define you so that you're taking every thought captive. It's sustained effort. And each of us need to learn this no matter what our age is. When a thought comes or an emotion rises up or a desire is trying to build within us and we know, we know, we know it's contrary to God's truth, it's opposite of God's truth, then we need to address it. Because if we don't address it with truth, it will begin to address us. And it will begin to latch on to us. And that's when strongholds are formed. Mm-hmm. And this is an ongoing battle, the Bible tells us in Galatians. Yes. The flesh and the spirit, they war against each other. But we must be disciplined, you all, as Christians. This weird ideal that you just come to church... You sit, and you hear, 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 and you do nothing with what you've heard is beyond me. Because everything else out there is defining people. And yet we say, oh, we're Christians, we go to church, this is whom we believe in, this is what we believe, and yet it doesn't define us. It's just words. And then we wonder why the younger generation looks at us and goes, what's going on here? (laughs) I'm having a hard time believing. Oh no. When you put truth into practice, when you begin to understand what Christ said from the beginning to the end, when you begin to apply truth, when you begin to walk in the Spirit, and what does that look like for your life? When you begin to take every thought captive and bring it into the obedience of the Lordship of Jesus Christ, when you begin to say, say to yourself, no, I'm not believing that lie anymore. Because this is what my Father says. This is what His truth is. And like I told you all last week, I believe it was last week, whatever has happened to you before Christ, 
Or even while you're in Christ, because things will happen. Hurt will come. But all, whatever brokenness there is, doesn't have to define you. Because your new nature doesn't align up with it. Your new nature is in Christ. And this is how we begin to live. This is the sustained effort. This is application. This is why we can look at others as Paul looked at others and said, follow me as I follow Jesus. Put into practice what you see, what you hear in me. And that's how we should be living. People should be seeing it. It's sustained effort. It's hard work. It's application. And I love that as and then I love the promise that we have here. And when we do that, the God of peace is with us. He's with us. He doesn't leave us out here alone trying to figure it out, like we've heard on Friday night. He doesn't just leave us out there and say, Here, now you go figure it out. No. He's given us the Holy Spirit. That we might learn. Mm-hmm. That we are to walk in the Spirit. We are to deny ourselves. And it's a beautiful life, you all. It's a beautiful life because we're not living on this plane. We're looking up because we know in whom we belong to and we know where we are going. And so we can still make it through this life impact this world around us with truth. Live for God. We don't have to keep giving ourselves over to stuff and to over to people and over to all of our emotions. No, we can learn to begin to, to walk in a manner that honors God. And so I love what I've been sharing with you over the past nine months, the degree to which you study, memorize, and meditate on God's Word is the degree to which we understand how it applies to our lives. But understanding how the Word applies is not enough We must actually apply it. So what you put into it is what you get. And if if you're finding your life really is not lining up with God's word, you're not putting yourself truly into it. The degree to which you study, memorize, and meditate on God's word is the degree to which understanding comes forth. Application, obedience. I would challenge you. I would challenge you, don't beat yourself up. If you haven't been doing a good job over the past nine months applying God's truth, don't beat yourself up, just begin. Begin somewhere. Begin today. Begin today. Seek Him, the Word of God says, and you will find Him if you seek Him with all of your heart. Not with a divided heart, one foot in the world, one foot in the church. Oh no, it has to be all of you. Jesus didn't come for half of you and the little that you want to give him. He would rather you not come to him at all. He even says, consider the cost. It's going to cost you everything. Jesus does not mince words. He's not this weird hippie that's just passing out hugs and muffins. Oh no. He knows his kingdom. He knows his father. He knows his will. He knows what he was sent to accomplish, and he knows whom he is returning for. Those who belong to him. He's not coming for everyone, because not everyone is turning to Christ. Not everyone 
wants Christ. They want their lives. They want their needs. They want their desires. They want themselves. They are their God. But if we're in Christ, if we are in Christ, oh, that we would know Him, that we would love Him with our whole being. Like, it's all or nothing. He, he, he doesn't mince words. You know, even like I've been sharing with you, when he says, if you put your hand to the plow and you look back, he says, you're not fit for my kingdom. Oh, how I want to be fit for his kingdom. Yes. And it's nothing that I can do to make me fit. It's just believing and then receiving and then applying the truth of all that he's accomplished. Because it's all for him. It's all for him. And so we can live this life upright, confident in Christ, in the midst of a wicked and perverse generation. And they are not our enemies. No, we're to love them as Christ loved them. We're to serve them as Christ served them. And as I keep saying to you all, we can't demand them to act like Christians. They don't know Christ. They don't know Christ. They don't understand the standards. No, no, no. The ones we hold the Christian discipled life standard to are those who say they're following Christ. Mm. And then by all means, the standard is set. Not because man has set it. No, because God has put it in, in place. And so what do we do with unbelievers? Well, we share the gospel with them. We share the gospel. Some will receive it. Some won't. But it's once someone receives Christ, they take the steps to be baptized, and then they take the steps to be discipled so that they will know what it means to follow all of His commandments. And it's not burdensome. Being a Christian is not burden. It's not a burden being a Christian. Oh no. Because once you know what you've been liberated from... Once you know what you have thrown off, the hope and the freedom that you get because of Christ, like you're not going to trade your freedom, your wholeness for what's back over here because nothing can compare to him. Oh, trust me, things and people will keep trying to compare to him. Things and, 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 and desires and wants and people will come along your path to try to lure you But when you know that you know that you know that you know that you know Christ is enough. And trust me. Trust me. I understand the war that goes on. That's why I've always told people. You don't have to hide up here. No one's expecting you to live out something that you really are not experiencing. So if you're still having issues, if things are still controlling, don't try to measure up to a standard because you feel like you have to be this good Christian. Oh no. Bring it out into the light. This is what the Bible says. Expose the fruitless deeds of the darkness. Like anybody can come and share whatever they're at. And that's what I've said. Broken people are more than happy. They should be sitting in churches to hear the good news. 
And the standard that is set within Christians is what Christ has set for his church. And so those who are in Christ, those standards are set for them. Those who are outside of Christ, they hear the gospel message calling them to Christ. They ought to see, they ought to see, oh, I'm set apart. Like, I'm not in Christ. No, I, I, I'm, I'm wicked. I'm in rebellion. I'm against who he is. I'm not against the church. I'm not against her bylaws. I'm not against all this other stuff. No, the problem is, oh God, I'm against you. And so they humble themselves. And that's why this weird thing that's happened in churches now, that, that we don't give them Christ, that, there's, that we don't expose him for truly who he is, they never know that they're in rebellion <laughs> towards him. Yeah. We've made him to be this weird hippie that just loves everyone and hugs and muffins for everyone and everyone's in. But you don't find that in the Bible. And that's why there's this urgency to go out and just love as Christ loved. Mm. Because the love of Christ compels people to come to Christ. Mm. To know Him. To know Him. And and once you know Him, and you see Him for who He is, you see yourself for truly who you are. And that's what humbles you. And that's what brings you, his love draws you to repentance. Because when I hear of Christ, oh, I see my nature. And I need you, Christ. I need you, Jesus. And so he doesn't stiff arm us. He never stiffs arm anyone. But he reveals the hearts of men and women of their nature. Because we're all, we all are born into that nature. Every single one of us. We are born into the nature that is in rebellion to God's holy throne. And you truly, you truly, you truly will never know the love of God until you truly, truly, truly understand the rebellion within you. You're not as good as you think you are. Not when you compare to God's standards. But God so loved us that he made provision for us. That in and of ourselves, he knew that we can never meet those standards. In and of ourselves, he, we can never clean ourselves up enough for God. Mm-hmm. That's why Jesus came to you all. That's why this transaction that takes place when you accept Jesus as Lord and Savior, and his righteousness is now placed upon you, <laughs> not because of anything you've done, but because of all what Christ has done. Amen. The freedom that comes from understanding this and knowing it and applying it to your life, it'll chase out religion that tries to creep in. The devil loves religion. (laughs) But a true relationship with Christ, when you truly understand what you received because you humbled yourself before God, you saw your need for a Savior, you asked Jesus to to, to be Lord and Savior of your life, you received this free gift from God because you've humbled yourself and now you begin this lifestyle of repentance and you begin to be get up and you begin to be that process that we talked about all Friday night of sanctification. It's an ongoing work. Yet though it's a work that's finished, yet though it's also an ongoing work that will ultimately be Completed when we're with Christ. But positionally, because we're in Christ, it's done. As we learned on Friday, 
But yet it's the ongoing process that we have to continue to walk out. Yes. Because we're still here. He doesn't take us out of the world. No, he places us right back into the world and go bear image. Go bear my image to this world. Let them know of me. Share of me. Love me with all of your heart, soul, mind, body, everything about you. Love me. Be about my father's business. Your life radically changes when you accept Christ. And you have a burden for the lost. You're not screaming at them. You have a burden for them. And you're not pretending that you're better than them when you know good and well you're not. So that's why I said you have a place here where you are free to expose whatever's going on so that you can be healed. This is the passion behind this ministry, behind this church. True Freedom Fellowship. That's the name of our church. True Freedom Fellowship. True means genuine. It's not a facade. It's not a put-on. It's not when I'm out and when I'm around them, I'll act like I'm a Christian. Oh, no. It's true, genuine. Come as you are. But we're not going to cater to everyone where you're at. We're going to give you truth. You have to decide ultimately what you're doing with that truth. And then true freedom, genuine freedom, it's not a put on. It's just not words being said, like true freedom. Freedom to love God. Freedom to love others. Ultimately, freedom to really truly begin to love yourself. To know what that means. That we don't have to continue to be enslaved to desires. We don't have to be continue to be enslaved to our hurts and our past and our wounds. We don't have to continue to be enslaved to, to our anger, to our frustrations, to our self-centeredness. We don't have to continue to be enslaved to depression, oppression, panic, anxiety. We don't have to continue to be enslaved. Because we can begin to understand what it means to be free. And even free when we're experiencing things in our lives that try to captivate us and hold us down. There will be nights of terror. There will be seasons of depression. There will be seasons that are hard, that you feel like you're pressed in on every side. There are, then life will come at you. With everything that it has. But the difference is when you're in Christ, when you're in Christ, (laughs) come what may, (laughs) come what may, the confidence that I have in Christ doesn't have to be shaken. I won't have to question Christ. When all that stuff comes, I don't have to question Christ because I know him. I know that he's that man that he should lie. And then once you begin to know him, once you begin to to have that intimate relationship that you're walking with him and you know his character, you know his promises are yes and amen. You know how to begin to stand up and war against the very things and the very ones that are coming warring against you. No, there's a different way you're living. And it all has to do with application. All, it all has to do with application. 
Because application implies action, and obedient action is the final step in causing God's Word to come to life in our lives. The application of Scripture enforces and further enlightens our study and also serves to sharpen our discernment, helping us better distinguish between, everyone should know this, good good and evil. So as you're applying God's truth, as you're learning to what it really means to walk it out, do you understand there's a lot of people who have a knowledge knowledge. There's a lot of people who can quote the Bible from back to front to front to back to up and down to left and right, but they never applied it, and all it is is knowledge. Knowledge without application is useless. You can have all the knowledge in the world, but if it's not being applied, it never will become wisdom. See, obedience has to come forth from your life. Because once you begin to obey, once you begin to walk it out, Christ is honored. And there's a level of security that comes in your life that you're not going to be so dismissive of it. No, that you're going to cling to Christ because you know who He is and what he has for your life. Because ultimately we're to be the people of God doing the will of God for the glory of God. Amen. Listen, it's beautiful. <laughs> it's incredible to be a Christian. It really is. It really is. And we as the church are about to get out there and start living as such. If, if, if I were to follow you around all week, or if you were to follow me all around all week, how are others seeing Christ in you? If I engaged with people in your life, in your work, in your school, in your family, in wherever, and I began to ask them, what characteristics of Christ are you seeing in this individual that calls himself a Christian? What do you think they're going to say? Because they ought to be able to see something. They ought to be able to say something. They ought not to say, well, they go to church. Because going to church doesn't make you a Christian. (laughs) Like, this is the reality, you all. Like, you're to be the image bearer of Christ. You're to go forth in a world, in a world that hates him. In a world, in a world that is in rebellion to his throne. In a world where the majority of people want nothing to do with him. In a world in which he came and they spat upon him. They beat him. They tore his flesh from his body. They nailed him to a cross. Hoping that they did away with him. Three days later, he rose from the dead. They didn't accomplish their purpose. He used their hatred of him Mm. to accomplish his purpose. To defeat sin and death. Oh, he's victorious, you all. And while we, the church, his representatives, aren't living a victorious life, again, it doesn't mean you live this weird Life, like, oh, I got no problems, I got no problems. No, if you got no problems, something's wrong with your Christian life. Because mm-hmm. you're going to have problems. 
It's what you do in the midst of those problems. It's what you do in the midst of feeling uncomfortable. It's what you do in the midst of broken relationships. It's what you do in the midst of a hard job, of a hard boss, of a hard taskmaster. It's what you do in the midst of when all the other kids and everyone else is doing what they want, but you know you ought not to be doing it. So you choose not to do it. And everyone makes fun of you. It's, it's you choosing to live in such a way that's honoring Christ and not honoring Him in a way that, oh, it's just so... <laughs> poor me, poor me, I can't do anything because of Christ. That's not the way to live. Because then people see that his standards, his burden, his yoke, when, when we portray it to be heavy and it, it's a miserable life, <laughs> we're mocking Christ. Because Jesus says that his yoke and his burden, it's light, it's freeing. So this weird concept of, of living the Christian life, like it's this heavy burden, uh, it's mocking Christ. Did you see? Do you see Christ? It's Christ ultimately is our example. Did you see him live that way when he was on this earth? Oh no, he lived a life on purpose because he was purposed. That's why I encourage you all. You all should be getting up every day if you're a Christian. Living your life on purpose because you were purposed. You're not an accident. It doesn't matter how you were, it doesn't matter what family you were born into, you're not an accident. God knew you. God formed you. God purposed you. God planned you. Well, my mom and my daddy did this. Well, I this and that and this and that and my family and this and that. No, no, no. no. Get over that and begin to look at the God who says, I formed you. I fastened you. I number the hairs on your head. You're purposed because of me. Don't let, don't let brokenness, don't let a world bound by sin and rebellion define you any longer. Understand this. I purposed you. I have called you out. I have declared you that you are my own. I have put good works in you to accomplish for my purpose. Live for me and fulfill what I have purposed for you. That doesn't, doesn't matter what your age is. As long as you have breath in your body, there's work to do. Doesn't matter what illness or what, doesn't matter what circumstances you're facing in life, there's still work to do. Get up every day and be on purpose because you're purposed. This is the good news that we have to share with people. This is the good news. We go out into a dark world that loves darkness. The world loves darkness. The world loves everything about itself. The world loves its idols. The world loves its little gods that they believe that are big gods. The world loves it all. And yet it hates Christ. And so here you come along. Woo-hoo-hoo. And you take notice because now all of a sudden there's light in amongst them. And they're like, who is this person? And you don't have to be intimidated by them. You don't have to be mean towards them. Just live your life. And if the door opens, you ought to pray for people. That's like, my God, you ought to be praying before you walk out your door. See, I don't know how you're living. 
There's a way Christians ought to be living. That's why I keep telling yourself. Before you go out there and, and, and try to give it to others, tell yourself daily. Yeah. You ought to be preaching yourself happy daily. You ought to be the best preacher you ever heard. You. You ought to be encouraging yourself. Well, I feel bad. It, get over the way you feel because every day you're going to have feelings that are contrary to whom you say you are. Mm-hmm. I mean, my God, if I had based my, my Christian life on my feelings, I would be a miserable wreck. But I'm not moved by my feelings. Oh, you want to act ugly? You want to feel ugly today? Let me remind you how Christ formed you. Mm-hmm. Say, so I don't know what you're doing. You know how you would live apart from Christ. Isn't it interesting? No one had to teach you. Mm-hmm. No one had to teach you to be selfish. Just look at that little baby. No one has to teach it to be selfish. Ah. It cries, it screams, it demands its wants. Do for me, 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 do for me. And if you don't, oh, it's going to get ugly. But they're precious. They're beautiful. But it's just the human nature. And it grows. And so as it, it grows, it grows. It grows. More selfish. More self-centered. Learning to adapt. No one, has to, no one has to teach. It just learns. The nature grows. The old nature just grows. And it'll latch on to different knowledges and different things that is presented to it. And it'll begin to do as it just. But just as that nature did, so does the new nature. In Christ, the only thing is, the new nature in Christ is not self-centered. It's Christ-centered. And so just as much energy as I put in in serving self over here is just as much effort and energy, sustained effort, hard work, application, that I need to put into this new nature and begin to live it out, begin to walk it out. Begin to see fruit come from my life. Because this is what he has for us. So that then when we go out among them, we can share with them. We can encourage them. We can share what we're going through. They see that we're going through troubles, but we go through them differently. And they can look and say, wow, what is it about you? What is it about your beliefs? It opens the doorway to have conversation about the God who has delivered you, the God who has called you out, the God who has claimed you as his own. Oh, do you know him today? Go to 1 John 1.7. Two scriptures on application and hopes to encourage you to keep, to keep, Applying. First John one seven. Lord Jesus. But if we are living in the light as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. First John one verse seven. Scriptures on application. 
If you continue to live in the light, to live, it's an action word. As God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other and the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. Like you're washed, you're cleansed. Oh, but I sinned today. Okay, well repent, get up and move on. Because He's cleansed you. So stop identifying with what's trying to master you. Because Romans 6 says you ought not to be mastered by sin any longer. Because now... You're slave to righteousness. Amen. You're following Christ. So if you stumble, get up, repent, and be genuine about it. Not like, oh, I'm sorry, be flippant. Yeah. No, like understand God hates sin. And you should hate it just as much as He does. And so when it happens in your life, don't beat yourself up. No, give it to Christ. Oh, God, I'm sorry. Help me in this area, Holy Spirit. Help me to walk it out. Help me to be able to confess it to you. Help me to go to to my brothers and sisters in Christ, to my pastor, to others that I know who's going to hold me accountable. That will help me to continue and, 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 and 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 to see me walk in what Christ has for me. So it's living, you all. Go to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Hebrews 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith. Okay, here's some application. So knowing what we just heard, what do we do with it? So let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. So there's the good news. And I love this for a Christian. We're to throw off the sin that so easily entangles us. I don't know what you're doing when sin comes into your life. I don't know what you're doing when, 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 when sin, not temptation, because listen, temptation comes. But temptation in and of itself is not sin. It's only sin when you bite into it. But the good news is he makes a way out of every temptation. So when the temptation comes a knocking, you say, oh, I'm not answering. Oh, I know what you have for me and what you have for me is not what satisfies me. Oh, it may feel good. It may be everything that I've ever wanted. But I know this. You'll never sustain me like Christ can sustain me. I don't know what, again, I don't know what you're doing with your Christian life. I don't know how you're living it. But if you open the door and you bite into what it's presenting, oh, death comes forth. And you feel it. You know how many, you know how many people are sitting in shame today? You know how many people are sitting with secret sin in their lives? Everything's okay. God bless you. Everything's okay. But inside they're hurting. And they ought not to be. But they're choosing to do it. That's not how you live. No, if you're a Christian and you sin, you're not to be continue to be mastered by it. The Bible tells you to throw off the sin that so easily entangles you. You throw it off by repenting. Dragging out into the light. God, forgive me. 
God, forgive me. Again, 1 John tells us, I write to you so that you will not sin, but if you do, what do you do as a Christian? Remember Jesus. Remember Jesus. He's praying for you. He's interceding for you. He knows your old nature. He knows it's still at war with you. He knows you're behind enemy lines. But he calls you. Get up, daughter. Get up, son. Stop who you are. Stop listening to its lies. Stop giving in to its desire. You're back in rebellion, and that's not where you belong. So come. Come to me. And you run to him. Ah, God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, God. And it's a genuine repentance. It's not a worldly repentance. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. No, it's a genuine repentance. And you get up. And then I love what it says. Then run the race. Yes. You're not disqualified. Isn't that something? Mm-hmm. A lot of Christians, they sin. They enter a season of, of, of intense struggle and sin. And the first thing they do is now all of a sudden, they're not qualified anymore. Mm-hmm. They've listened to the lies of the enemy. And that's not how it should be. That's not how it should be. You repent, you get up. And look what the Word of God says. Run the race that is set before you. Stop allowing what's behind you to define you. Run it out. Well, one of people bring up my past. One of people, it doesn't matter. Run it out before them. Because <laughs> it's not what others say about you, it's what Christ has already declared over you. That's what matters. That's what matters. This is the good news. This is how we should be living. Amen. I started last week. We've gone through different seasons over this year, talking about, and, and, and I'm giving you all different tools to help equip you in your Christian life. In hopes that you are living it out, that you're growing, that you're maturing, that you're impacting those around you. And so we've entered this new season to where we are now discussing our identities in Christ. And like I said last week, you can't really understand these identities and claim these identities if first and foremost your position is not in Christ. Yes. Yes. You have to be born again to really claim these identities. Mm. There's a lot of people claiming all of this that they don't know Christ. There's a lot of people who want access to the kingdom and to put kingdom principles in practice and they want to yet continue to live apart from the king. And that's not the Christian life. The Christian life is first and foremost a life that has been born again of the Spirit because of Christ. And through Christ, we begin to grow in our new identities. Because again, everything the Word of God tells us, our position is in Christ. We're in Christ. We're in Christ. We're in Christ. And this is the beauty, you all. This is the beauty. And most Christians don't even get it. And they're running it amok. 
They're running amok. And they're making a mockery of Christ. And in the end, they would have to answer to Christ. But I shared with you three last week. I'm going to share three more identities in Christ this week with you. Go to Ephesians 2, verse 8. And again, my purpose in sharing these is to equip you so that you are applying God's truth, that you have full knowledge of what the Word of God says about your identity in Christ. So Ephesians 2, verse 8, your new identity in Christ Saved by grace through faith. Yes. If you are in Christ, you have been saved by grace through faith. Amen. Ephesians 2 verse 8. God saved you by His grace. And I love this. When you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Yes. It's not religious works. Mm-hmm. It's not. Mm. It's not anything else. God saved you by His grace when you believed. When you believed in Him. When you recognized that you were a sinner and that He is the Savior you need. Mm. That He is the provision that God brought forth to reconcile you back to God. And grace you all. Grace. Grace is not the license to continue to sin. No, grace is the power to transform. And we've got to understand that because in this day and age, it's grace, grace, God's grace, 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 grace. And we're just watering down. And people are remaining in shackled and in in chains because they're still mastered by sin. Mm -hmm. Grace is not, again, the license to continue to sin. No, grace is the power to transform, and it's freely given to those who will believe upon Jesus Christ. Because you cannot take credit for any transformation in your life. Mm, Well, look how many scriptures I've learned. Look how many times I gave in the offering. Look how many times I prayer. Look at my prayer life. Look at my church attendance. Look at this. Look at that. It has nothing to do with any of that. All of your efforts are like filthy rags. No, it's all because of Christ. It is a gift from God. The second identity, and we've been studying this. We started two Fridays ago. You've learned about it if you were here. You are justified. Romans 5.1 You are justified. Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, We have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ, our Lord, has done for us. Justified. Listen, y'all, as I share it, y'all been around me, this is one of my favorite scriptures. Because coming from a life where there was no peace, Mm -hmm. from without or from within, (laughs) and just trying to find a purpose, just trying to find somewhere to belong, just trying to find wholeness and peace. And nothing in this world could have ever brought it to me, nor could it you. But to hear God's word that says, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith. Yes. 
not by trying to measure up, not by trying to work so hard to be a good Christian, but by faith in Christ and Christ alone. Mm. By faith in Christ and Christ alone. We have peace with God because of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Like we're, we're with God. We have peace. We're not at war with Him any longer. We're not in rebellion towards Him any longer. We are at peace with Him. And it's not a pretend peace. No, when you know that you know that you know. And you know that you know that you know. Like there's a security that you can have. That you can live in the abundance of what Christ has for us. So I don't know if y'all are getting it. I don't know if the majority of people sitting in churches are getting it. What I do know is this culture is amping up. There's so many distractions. Even this morning, there's so many distractions. So many distractions. The Word of God is being preached, and there's so many distractions. Just take the little time that we're having here. It's hard to stand up here. <laughs> and there's so many distractions. That's everyday life. You're living. You get up. You go out into the world. You get up and rise up for bed just in your own home. You're at work. You're at school. All these distractions, the level of chaos and distraction, deception, desires, everything is rising up unlike we've ever seen before in this earth. And everything that's rising up, it's pushing Christ out, further out. But that doesn't stop the church the body of Christ, those called by Christ, because we know that the gates of hell shall not prevail. And we will go forth, and we will continue to gain ground, no matter the distractions. We will continue to walk confidently in Christ. We will take the insults. We will take the abuse. Because we know in whom we belong to. This is how the church ought to be preparing the church for the days that are coming. It's not like church before, just lollygadding, sitting, coming when you can to church, being flippant about it. No, the reality, the reality in the day and age in which we are living and whom we ought to be preparing for, for His return. I'm afraid the majority of the church are going to be like those virgins that weren't prepared. They're going to be begging everyone else for oil. No, you got to get your own. That's right. And by the time they run a month to find it and they come, it's gone. We're out of here. Amen. <laughs> and we got to wake up, you all. So when we hear this verse, now therefore you are at peace with God. Through Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior. Listen to that. You are justified. Again, not because of anything of yourself, but because of Christ. And that's what I keep trying to tell you on Friday nights, and even when we're together on Sundays. Listen, we've got to stop having this weird surface Christianity. Y'all, people don't even know the depths of what Christ has done for them, and so how can they share it with others? And people don't want your brouhaha 
weird Christianity. No, they need the depths of Christ. They need the truth of Christ. They need the Word of God to pierce their being. So as it's going in deep, it's coming out, and as it's coming out, it's healing. It's healing them. We ought to know the depths ought to be able to explain what transaction takes place when one believes upon Jesus. Because until you truly understand it, you're going to be flippant about it. You're not going to honor it. You're not going to treasure it. No. No. You'll be flippant. And we can't continue to be flippant. So these identities in Christ, are we understanding? How is it impacting our lives that we might live? Yes. Preparing for the one in whom we say we adore. To the one in whom we say we belong to. The one who has delivered us unto himself Amen. and has called us to the purpose in which he purposed us for. Yes. Oh, it's beautiful, you all. Finally, oh, we learned about this on Friday night. Yes. Go, Carrie, you need to update the notes. It's actually 1 Corinthians 6, verse 11. Oh. Sanctified. You are sanctified. So today, you've heard three more identities in Christ. Saved by grace through faith, justified, and sanctified. And if you want to go deeper, then pair up with someone that you can go deeper with. What does this mean? How is this supposed to impact my life? Because I don't understand. Well, the scripture sounds nice and all, but truly, how do I apply it? What does it actually mean? What is this process? Because, man, it's beautiful. It's beautiful when we truly grasp it. And so you ought to be being discipled so that you know whom you believe and what truly he has accomplished. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11 gives you this truth that you have been sanctified. Let me get there. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11. Oh, some of you were once like that. Oh, but you know what? Let's move up, Carrie, to verse 9. No. And then, we, then, because you can't really get the impact of verse 11 unless you really know what verse 11 is telling you. He goes, don't you realize that those who do wrong, and listen, and listen, He's talking to the church. He's reminding the church. Again, the world already stands condemned. And that's why you can't bring in all that old stuff of your old selves into the church and think the church is going to conform to your old self. No, the church is conformed to Christ and Christ alone. There's nothing of our old selves coming in. So he's writing to the church. Do you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't fool yourselves. And why would he say that? Because he knows what's going on in the church. Don't fool yourselves. Who? You, the church. Those who indulge in sexual sin 
or who worship idols, or commit adultery, or male prostitutes, or practice homosexuality, or are thieves, or greedy people, or drunkards, or abusive, or cheat people. None of these, none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. And thank God he didn't stop there. Because here's the verse on you being sanctified. Some of you, some of you, who? Some of you in the church were once like that. You were once like that. But, come on, you were cleansed. You were made holy. You were made right with God by not following a list of rules and laws, 12 steps, up and down, left and right, crawling on the ground, beating yourself up. Oh no. How was I cleansed? How was I made holy? How was I made right with God? You were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. God, that ought to make the church shout. Do you understand what's being fed to people throughout the earth to keep them in bondage? Sitting in churches. They can tell you all the rules and the laws and the do's and the don'ts, but they can't tell you anything about Christ. Except, well, He died on the cross for me and He rose again. But they they don't even understand the depths of what that means to them. Like I'm telling you all, when you grasp it, because God is pleased to reveal it to you, the wholeness and the freedom that comes forth to so then live your life for Christ. To deal with the chaos of, in you and around you to set standards in place. God first in all. Not when it's, a, a, you know, when it feels right or when I'm able to fit him into my schedule. God first. And people should start seeing that in your life. God first. Christ first. Well, not all the time. Christ first. Let the door open. Give it a crack where he's not first all the time. Now watch what floods in. Christ first. People are not even getting up and attending services anymore. People are not having family devotion times. Growing together. Honoring Christ. Loving Christ. Because everything else is first. Everything else is first. As long as everything else is first, do you understand that you truly can't follow Christ? And that's not on Christ. That's not His fault. That's you. Because you're making choices. 
Listen, I'm telling you, when you know that you know that you know what you have gained because of Christ, he's first in all things. Come at me every which way, but Christ first. Christ first. Christ first. I've set this time aside for Christ. Christ first. Christ first. It's how we're to be living, you all. It's how we're to be living. We're going to take communion today. And as this song plays over you, I pray that it will be an encouragement to you, and then we're going to move on to our prophecies. You going to be okay passing that? Yeah, I will. Thank you. You can start that. I would just encourage you as you're holding the elements, as the song is being played over you, is Christ first. Areas that He's not first, I pray that the Holy Spirit would just bring forth that conviction. And that you would repent. I pray if, there, if there's any active sin in your life, that you just not be flippant about communion mm-hmm. and take it because the Bible does say you're reaping wrath upon you. Like you understand what we do in this hour and this moment holding these elements because we're called to do this in remembrance of him
body you saw fit to gather those who followed you your disciples hours before your death and said this do in remembrance of me God there is so much going on father but I pray in this second that we would put all else aside and we would put you first as we take this, God, we say the world behind me, the cross before me, that we would keep our eyes on you and you alone. In Jesus' name. Take the bread. Go to what you pray over the cup. Prophecies concerning Christ. Let's go to Psalm 22, verse 16. 
Again, I'm giving you these prophecies in hopes to encourage you to continue to keep your eyes on Jesus. Psalm 22, verse 16. The first prophecy we're going to look at concerning Christ is hands and feet. His hands and feet were pierced. Psalm 22 is where it was prophesied, verse 16. My enemies surrounded me like a pack of dogs. An evil gang closes in on me. They have pierced my hands and feet. It was fulfilled. Let's go to John 20. Chapter 20, verse 27 through 28. Then he, Jesus, said to Thomas, Put your finger here and look at my hands. Put your hand into the womb in my side. Don't be faithless any longer, but believe. My Lord and my God, Thomas exclaimed. His hands and feet were pierced. The next prophecy, he would be mocked and insulted. Back to Psalm 22. Verses 6 through 8. But I am a worm and not a man. I am scorned and despised by all. Everyone who sees me mocks me. They sneer and shake their heads, saying, Is this the one who relies on the Lord? Then let the Lord save him. If the Lord loves him so much, let the Lord rescue him. Then let's move on to... Matthew chapter 27. Again, prophecy concerning Christ that he would be mocked and insulted. Matthew 27, and it's going to be verses 39 through 40. The people passing by shouted abuse, shaking their heads in mockery. Look at you now, they yelled at him. You said you were going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. Well then, if you are the Son of God, save yourself and come down from the cross. The last prophecy I want to encourage you in today is that he was given gall and vinegar. Psalm 69, verse 21. But instead they gave me poison for food. They offered me sour wine for my thirst. Let's move to John 19. Back to the book of John, chapter 19, verse 29. A jar of sour wine was sitting there, so they soaked a sponge in it, 
put it on a hyssop branch, and held it up to his lips. Mm. Prophecies, you all, about Christ, concerning Christ. Prophesied, and we see them fulfilled. In hopes, I share these with you, in hopes to encourage you, that you can trust in what God has purposed and planned, He will bring about. Every small detail that He spoke has come to pass. The Messiah, Jesus, the Son of God, has come. It is finished. And now we're waiting upon His return to gather those who belong to Him. And for eternity, for eternity, you all, will be with Him. Yes. Again, this is a hope that we have as believers. Mm-hmm. Let's go to Second Chronicles, chapter six, walking through scriptures. Second Chronicles, chapter six. Again, we're making our way through the Bible. Mm-hmm. In hopes that you all understand and know your God, His characteristics, who He is, seeing Him from the Old Testament in through the New Testament, accomplishing everything that he has planned and, is, and he is pur- and that he has purposed. You ought to be able to go out there and share with others yes. about the God in whom you say you're in relationship with, and all that he has accomplished. I have listened to so much craziness over this past week. People like to send me stuff, and again. Everything that's out there is trying to distract you from the knowledge in which you should have about your God. I mean, they are attacking the Christian faith. They are trying to rewrite it. They are trying to do everything and anything to denounce Christ, to denounce the New Testament. To poke holes in everything. Oh, that you would know, that you would know, that you would know. And that you could be able to then, as the Word of God calls us to, to contend for the faith. Mm. To be able to give an answer. And I tell you, one of the biggest things is people say, well, man wrote it. Man put it together. Man did this, a man did that. An emperor did this, and a priest did that. It's not God. All of that is just gibberish. Listen, you all. The Word of God. Genesis. It's Revelation. This is God's Word. It's the living Word. Man may have penned it, but God inspired it. Amen. And no man or men or council of men could have put this together so eloquently as it is to give you this incredible picture and this beautiful story of redemption that will forever impact this world. I can't give and you can't give man that type of power. Mm-hmm. They can't do it. But the living God, the one and only God, the holy God, the one who sits upon 
the throne. The one who spoke and formed everything. This is his word. Yes. And he confirms it over and over and over and over and over and over again. And when our eyes are open, when we receive Christ, the Son of God, when we receive the Holy Spirit, God Himself in us, and begins to, to, to bring to light and understanding this Word, that it may be lived, that it may be treasured, that He may be honored, oh, it just totally transforms a life. Totally transforms lives turns the world upside down. Yes. The reality that it was just man who put this together, then why, for God's sakes, throughout the years, is it hated? Has it been tried to be snatched out of people's hands, common folk? Why have governments gone after it? Why are people so hungry for it mm. that they would risk their life just having a page of it crumbled up in their pocket? in these closed countries. Now, come on. God inspired God's word, you all. And so you have to be equipped to know your God, to live for your God. And so as we go through these books, as we go through the word, I want us to see him in it. Y'all should be feasting off of this. You should take what you're hearing and going and sitting and opening up the Word, opening up some commentary, hearing other teachings about it, and begin to learn of your God, to know your God. Because He's a great God, you all. And so as we've opened up the book of 1 Chronicles, we finish. We're now into 2 Chronicles. We're going to look at chapter 6 through chapter 8, verse 10 today. And again, this book was written for the people who are returning. They've been in captivity. Because those before them did not obey God. And so they were captured yet again. And now they're being brought back to the land that was promised to their people. They have really no identity. And so this chronicler is writing as he's inspired by God. To remind these people, first and foremost, who their God is, what his plan and purpose is, who they are as his people, how then they shall worship him and live for him in order for him to accomplish his purpose on the earth. They have no identity. And I love it because we, in this day and age, we come to Christ with no identity of a kingdom mindset of a holy God. We come out of slavery and bondage to sin, mastered by it. We know our identity there. We know what we've gone through, what we've endured. But yet God is calling us out. And He wants us to know, first and foremost, Him. And in knowing Him, drawing close to Him, receiving from Him this newness of identity that we have because of Him. How then now shall we live? It's the heart's cry of a believer. So 2 Chronicles chapter 6. Again, King Solomon, 
The temple has been built. He's going to praise the Lord. And again, this has already taken place, but now these people are being reminded what has taken place. So they're hearing this. Then Solomon prayed, O Lord, you have said that you would live in a thick cloud of darkness. Now I have built a glorious temple for you, a place where you can live forever. Then the king turned around to the entire community of Israel. Oh, get this picture, you all. Standing before him and gave this blessing. Praise the Lord, the God of Israel, who has kept the promises he has made to my father David. For he told my father, From the day I brought my people out of the land of Egypt, I have never chosen a city among any of the tribes of Israel as the place where a temple should be built to honor my name. Nor have I chosen a king to lead my people Israel. But now I have chosen Jerusalem as the place for my name to be honored. And I have chosen David to be king over my people. Then Solomon said, My father David wanted to build the temple to honor the name of the Lord, the God of Israel. But the, God, but the Lord told him, you, want, you wanted to build the temple to honor my name. Your intention is good, but you are not the one to do it. One of your own sons will build the temple to honor me. And now the Lord, look at this, has fulfilled this promise he made. For I have become king in my father's place. And now I sit on the throne of Israel, just as the Lord promised. I have built this temple to honor the name of the Lord, the God of Israel. There I have placed the ark which contains the covenant that the Lord made with the people of Israel. Then Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord in front of the entire community of Israel, and he lifted up his hands and prayed. Now Solomon has made, now Solomon has made a bronze platform, seven and a half feet long, <clears throat> seven and a half feet wide, and four and a half feet high, and placed it at the center of the temple's outer court. He stood on the platform, and then he knelt, look at this, in front of the entire community of Israel and lifted his hands toward heaven and he prayed, O Lord, God of Israel, there is no God like you in all of heaven and earth. You keep your covenant and show unfailing love to all who walk before you, wholehearted devotion. You have kept your promise to your servant David, my father. You made that promise with your own mouth and with your own hands. You have fulfilled it today. And now, O Lord, God of Israel, carry out the additional promise you made to your servant David, my father. For you said to him, if your descendants, listen, guard their behavior and faithfully follow my law as you have done, one of them will always sit on the throne of Israel. Now, O Lord, God of Israel, fulfill this promise to your servant David. But will God really live on earth among people? Why have the highest of heavens, why? Why, even the highest of heavens cannot contain you. How much less this temple I have built. Nevertheless, listen to my prayer and my plea. O Lord, my God, hear the cry and the prayer that your servant is making to you. May you watch over this temple day and night, this place where you have said you would put your name. May you always hear the prayers I make towards this place. May you hear the humble and earnest prayers from me and your people Israel when we pray towards this place. Yes, hear, oh my goodness, hear us from heaven where you live. And when you hear, forgive. Amen. 
If someone wrongs another person and is required to take an oath of innocent in front of your altar at this temple, then hear from heaven and judge between your servants, the accuser and the accused. Pay back the guilty as they deserve. Acquit the innocent because of their innocence. If your people Israel are defeated by their enemies because they have sinned against you, and if they turn back and acknowledge your name and pray to you here at this temple, oh, listen, you all, that beautiful sign of repentance. Verse 25, Then hear from heaven and forgive the sin of your people Israel and return them to this land you gave them and to their ancestors. If the skies are shut up and there is no rain because your people have sinned against you, and if they pray toward this temple and acknowledge your name and turn from their sins because you have punished them, then hear from heaven and forgive the sins of your servants, your people Israel. Teach them to follow the right path and send rain on your land that you have given to your people as their special possession. If there is a famine in the land, or a plague, or a crop, disease, or attacks of locusts, or caterpillars, or if your people's enemies are in the land besieging their towns, whatever disaster or disease there is, and if your people Israel pray about their troubles or sorrow, raising their hands towards this temple, then hear from heaven where you live and forgive. (coughs) Give your people what their actions deserve. For you alone know each human heart. Then they will fear you and walk in your ways as long as they live in the land you gave to our ancestors. In the future, foreigners who do not belong to your people, Israel, will hear of you. They will come from distant lands. When they hear of your great name and your strong hand, ah, come on, and your powerful arm. And when they pray towards this temple, then hear from heaven where you live and grant what they ask of you. In this way, all the people of the earth will come to know and fear you, just as your own people Israel do. They too will know that this temple I have built honors your name. If your people go out where you send them to fight their enemies, and if they pray to you by turning towards the city you have chosen and toward this temple I have built to honor your name, then hear their prayers from heaven and uphold their cause. If they sin against you and who has never sinned, you might become angry with them and let their enemies conquer them and take them captive to a foreign land far away or near. But in that land of exile, remember, this is where these people were coming from, they might turn to you in repentance and pray, we have sinned, done evil, and acted wickedly. If they turn to you with their whole heart and soul in the, in, in, whole heart and soul in the land, of their captivity and pray toward the land you gave to their ancestors towards this the city you have chosen and towards this temple I have built to honor your name then hear their prayers and their petitions from heaven where you live and uphold their calls forgive your people who sinned against you oh my God may your eyes be open and your ears attentive to all the prayers made to you in this place and now arise O Lord And enter your resting place, along with the ark, the symbol of your power. May your priests, O Lord God, be clothed with salvation. May your loyal servants rejoice in your goodness. O Lord, do not reject the king you have anointed. Remember your unfailing love for your servant David. Chapter 7, when Solomon finished praying, fire flashed down from heaven and burned up the burnt offerings and sacrifices. And the glorious presence of the Lord filled the temple. 
The priest could not enter the temple of the Lord because the glorious presence of the Lord filled it. When all the people of Israel saw the fire coming down and the glorious presence of the Lord filling the temple, they fell face down on the ground and worshipped and praised the Lord, saying, He is good. His faithful love endures forever. Then the king and all the people offered sacrifices to the Lord. King Solomon offered a sacrifice of 22,000 cattle and 120,000 sheep and goats. And so the king and all the people dedicated the temple to God. The priests took their assigned positions and so did the Levites who were singing. His faithful love endures forever. They accompanied the singing with music, with the instruments King David had made for praising the Lord. Across from the Levites, the priests blew the trumpets while all Israel stood. Solomon then consecrated the central area of the courtyard in front of the Lord's temple. He burnt offerings and the fat of peace offerings there because the bronze altar he had built could not hold all the burnt offerings, grain offerings, and sacrificial fat. For the next seven days, Solomon and all of Israel celebrated the festival of shelters. A large congregation had gathered from as far away as Label Hamath in the north and Brook of Egypt in the south. On the eighth day, they had a closing ceremony, for they had celebrated the dedication of the altar for seven days and the festival of shelters for seven days. Then at the end of the celebration, Solomon sent the people home. They were all joyful and glad (coughs) because the Lord had given, had been so good to David and to Solomon and to his people Israel. So Solomon finished the temple of the Lord, as well as the royal palace. He completed everything he had planned to do in the construction of the temple and the palace. Then one night, the Lord appeared to Solomon and said, Oh, Jesus, I have heard your prayer, and I have chosen this temple as the place for making sacrifices. At this time, I might shut up the heavens so that no rain falls or command grasshoppers to devour your crops, or send plagues among you. Then, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and restore their land. My eyes will be opened and my ears attentive to every prayer made in this place. For I have chosen this temple and set it apart to be holy, a place where my name will be honored forever. I will always watch over it, for it is dear to my heart. As for you, if you faithfully follow me as your David, as David your father did, obeying all my commands, decrees, and regulations, then I will establish the throne of your dynasty. For I have made this covenant with your father David when I said, One of your descendants will always rule over Israel. But if you or your descendants abandon me, And disobey the decrees and commands I have given you. And if you serve and worship other gods, then I will uproot the people from this land that I have given them. I will reject this temple that I have made holy to honor my name. I may make it an object of mockery and ridicule among the nations. And though this temple is impressive now, all who pass by it will be appalled. They will ask, why did the Lord do such a terrible thing to this land and to this temple? And the answer will be because his people abandoned the Lord, the God of their ancestors, who
who brought them out of Egypt, and they worshipped other gods instead and bowed down to them. That is why he has brought all these disasters on them. Mm. Chapter 8, and we're going through to verse 10. It took Solomon 20 years to build the Lord's temple in his own royal palace. At the end of that time, Solomon turned his attention to rebuilding the towns that King Hiram had given him, and he settled Israelites in them. Solomon also fought against the town of Hamrath Zobah and conquered it. He rebuilt Tadmor in the wilderness and built towns in the region of Hamath as supply centers. He fortified the towns of Upper Beth Horon and Lower Beth Horon regarding their walls and installing barred gates. He also rebuilt Baal and all other supply centers and constructed towns where his chariots and horses could be stationed. He built everything he desired in Jerusalem and Lebanon and throughout his entire realm. There were so there are still some people living in the land who are not Israelites, including the Hittites, Amorites, Parasites, Hevites, and the Jebusites. These were descendants of the nations whom the people of Israel had not destroyed. So Solomon so Solomon conscripted them for his labor force, and they served in the labor force force to this day. But Solomon did not conscript any of the Israelites for his labor force. Instead, he assigned them to serve as fighting men, officers in his army, commanders of his chariots and charioteers. King Solomon appointed 250 of them to supervise the people. Listen, this is our God, you all. Amen. <laughs> this is our God. And this, should, this reading from this Old Testament book should impact our lives today. Because just as much detail, just as much detail that, that we have heard about the temple that Solomon built, we ultimately know now, in our day and age, the temple is us. The temple is you. God in you. Your life is set apart to honor God. People should look upon your life and be able to see the glory of God. Sustaining you, keeping you, present among you, within you. This is the life of a believer. This is who we are. We are serving the living God. Amen. He is to be honored. He is to be loved. He is to be served. Not because we're forced to. No, because we understand, we see Him for who He is. Amen. His faithful love endures forever. Amen. It is because of His great love that He doesn't leave us in our rebellion towards Him. He doesn't allow us to experience the wrath that we deserve because of our rebellion towards Him. No, He loves us with an everlasting love that He sent forth His one and only Son that whoever would believe in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. And yet we want to be flippant about that. Do not understand that He is a holy God. Holy, holy, holy. Yes. Set apart. And yet that's what He calls us to. Not in and of yourself. Because all that He has purposed for your life, He brings forth. He sets us apart. Because we are His beloved. To be used for His service. To honor Him. And it's a joy to do so, you all. Go to Romans chapter 7. Again, Romans. Paul's instructing the church in Rome that has been birthed. And there's a lot of different things going on, and so Paul's addressing it. Paul's addressing the Jews, 
And Paul's addressing the Gentiles. And as they're coming in, they're realizing, no, wait a minute, we're one now. Well, once you to define us to make us different, we no longer look upon. Because now we're looking upon Christ, who has brought both of us in to identify as Christians, to be Christ-like, to know Him, to love Him, to serve Him, to honor Him. And so Paul's addressing a lot of different issues that are going on. What's causing the division? And one of the things he's getting to the core at is the law. And how the law exposes sin. But it's Christ who came to fulfill the law, not to do away with the law, but to fulfill the law. And so just as this church can get caught up in the law, so we can get caught up in the law when we become religious. When we start demanding certain things that if you do this, then you're right with God. Well, if we do this a little bit more, then we're right with God. Then we're more holy. But when we start adding on and we neglect truly to see that the only way that we can obtain position is through Christ and Christ alone. It's what Christ has accomplished. This is the truth. And then he addresses sin. Like sin is no longer to continue to master us. Sin is no longer to continue to be the force that is dominating our lives. And he begins to describe the struggle. I want to do, and we're going to see this today, I want to do what, what is right, but I can't because this active force within me. And a lot of people, when they read this portion of Scripture that we're about to read today, they usually stop there. And then they use it as an excuse to keep living in bondage to sin. But that was, not God, that was not God's intent, nor was it his intent to inspire Paul to write this to keep people in bondage, because that wouldn't make sense, because that goes against God's character. That's why you've got to know your God. Yeah. It is how Paul, as he was inspired to pen it, after he gives us this incredible picture of this struggle, he says, then who will rescue me from this? Mm-hmm. And he points them back to Jesus. And that's what we do, you all. We've got to keep Jesus the center. He is our all in all. You stop looking at him. He stops being the source of your life. You're looking elsewhere, just like the Israelites did, just like people do today. They come to church, they sit in church, but I'm not moved by church. Nothing is for me. None of this is happening. And so they go looking elsewhere. I need another God. I need something else. But oh, no, no, no. Those that know Christ, those have tasted and seen that the Lord is good, they know nothing else is going to satisfy them. They will get up, they will press in, they will seek Him because they understand the Word says, if you seek Him, you shall find Him, if you seek Him with all your heart. So Romans 7 verse 14 is where we're picking up, I'm only reading through chapter 8 verse 8. So this concept of struggling with sin, Paul is addressing. And then he's going to end it with this incredible understanding about what it means to have a life in the Spirit. So he begins. So the trouble is not with the law. For it is spiritual and good. The trouble is with me. For I'm all too human, a slave to sin. I don't really understand myself. In our nature, in our human nature, that's what we are. Apart from Christ, we are a slave to sin. 
I don't understand myself. For what I want to do, for what I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. Again, he's talking about in and of himself, in and of his human nature. But I know that what I'm doing is wrong. This shows that I agree that the law is good. So I'm not the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. And I know that nothing good lives in me, that is, in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. But if I do what I don't want to do, am I not really the one doing wrong? Or am I, the not, am I not really the one doing wrong? It is the sin living in me that does it. I have discovered this principle of life. That when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart, but there's another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? And that's where a lot of people stop. But don't stop. He's describing the old nature. He's describing that tormented place that people find themselves in another flesh, trying to be religious, trying to do good, but always doing wrong. I'm always mastered. Oh, what a wretched, what a miserable person I am in. Who, who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Well, praise be to God for verse 25. Thank God. The answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. So you see how it is. If in my mind I really want to obey God's law, but because of my sinful nature, I'm a slave to sin. Okay, Paul. Then what's the joy that we have? Well, life in the Spirit. Because of Christ, we receive Christ, we receive the Holy Spirit. So now, so now, church, he's not talking to the world, he's talking to the church. Those who have been redeemed, those who have believed upon Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, those who have repented, they recognize their nature as sinful. So what do we do in this struggle, Paul? Jesus is the answer. But here's how you get on your feet and gain ground. This truth right here for believers. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong. See, if you don't belong, you can't claim this. And there's a lot of people who don't belong claiming this. And yet they're miserable and wretched. So there is no condemnation for those who belong in Christ Jesus. Come on. And because you belong to Him, because you belong to Him, because your status has changed, you've been born again of the Spirit, the power of the life-giving Spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did. Who did? God. Not you, not me, not anyone else. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end. Come on. 
Jesus. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving us his son as a sacrifice for our sins. He did this so that the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied for us who no longer follow, oh God, highlight that, circle that, who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the Spirit. Those who are dominated by the sinful nature, haha, think about sinful things. But those who are, I love this, controlled by the Holy Spirit, think about things that pleases the Spirit. So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death. But letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace, you all. For the sinful nature is always hostile to God. Yes. It never did obey God's laws, and it never will. That is why those who are still under the control of their sinful nature can never please God. Mm. Come on, church, we've got to wake up. We've got to wake up. The hour's at hand. Awake, awake, O sleeper. Christ is risen. Christ is returning. Christ is calling us out of darkness into his marvelous light. We have the hope of the resurrected Christ that we might live and not die, but that we might experience the fullness of life in Christ, the life that he has purposed for us. Go to Psalm 18. We're wrapping up. Psalm 18. Oh, the book of Psalms that lay before us and hopes to encourage us to look up. These psalmists are transparent. They endured it. They went through it. And they were inspired to pen it to encourage future generations to keep their eyes on the Lord. Psalm 18. Verses 1 through 15. It's a psalm of David. Uh, Listen to this, you all. I love you, Lord. You are my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my Savior. My God is my rock in whom I find protection. He is my shield, the power that saves me in my place of safety. I called on the Lord who is worthy of praise, and He saved me from my enemies. Jesus The ropes of death entangled me. Floods of destruction swept over me. The grave wrapped its ropes around me. Death laid a trap in my path. But in my distress, I cried out to the Lord. Yes, I prayed to my God for help. He heard me from his sanctuary. My cry to him reached his ears. Then the earth quaked and trembled. The foundations of the mountains shook. They quaked because of his anger. Smoke poured forth from his nostrils. Fierce flames leaped from his mouth. Glowing coals blazed forth from him. He opened the heavens and came down. Dark storm clouds were beneath his feet. Mounted on a mighty angelic being, he flew, soaring on the wings of the wind. He shrouded himself in darkness. Veiling his approach with dark rain clouds. Thick clouds shielded the brightness around him and rained down hell and burning coals. Mm. The Lord thundered from heaven. 
the voice of the Most High resounded amid the hell and burning coals. He shot his arrows and scattered his enemies. His lightnings flashed and they were greatly confused. Then at your command, O Lord, at the blast of your breath, the bottom of the sea could be seen and the foundations of the earth were laid bare. Oh God, this is our God you want. This is how great he is. That he would hear our prayers from heaven. And he moves heaven and earth mm-hmm. to come forth and deliver us unto him. Oh, that we will love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and body. Finally, in Proverbs 19, two nuggets of wisdom. Proverbs 19, verse 24 through 25. Mm-hmm. Two nuggets of wisdom. Lazy people take food in their hand, but don't even lift it to their mouth. Mm. If you punish a mocker, the simple-minded will learn a lesson. If you correct the wise, they will be all the wiser. Mm. Oh, people of God, there is a way in which we are called to live, and it is for the glory of our God. Let's worship Him, and then I'll close us in prayer. Then he 